This is the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show, where we explore the intricacies of building healthy and thriving relationships. I'm Laura Bellata, your host, founder of singleinthecity.ca. What are some of the important things that new couples, they need to know in order to build strong, thriving relationships? Well, we have a lot to discuss with my special guest, Christine Earthheart. Christine is the co-founder of the Center for Thriving Relationships and the host of the Thriving Relationship Show. She has extensive experience in coaching, workshops, and group circles, and is here to guide us through the stages of relationships and effective communication. We'll also dive uh, or delve into the importance of secure attachment and the essential pillars of a thriving relationship. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Christine. How are you doing? Uh, I am great. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Laura. You are so freaking cute. That's all I have to say. <laughs> you really, really are. Your personality just shines. Well, let's get right to it and start off with the five predictable stages of relationships and how they impact the dynamics between couples. Yeah, you got it. So, and hopefully this will be good news for those who are tuning in because a lot of people might think there's just, there's only two stages and there are five and it really gives us a roadmap to what's possible. So the first stage is the romance stage. Mm -hmm. Every single (laughs) enters that stage, but typically there's a stage where we can't yet see the whole person. So we tend to focus maybe on their sparkly qualities. We tend to give them our best. There's a lot of hopefulness and enchantment. It's very easy to say things like, it's just so easy to communicate. We just get along so well. It's so much easier than any of my other relationships. And that is so beautiful and serves a purpose. And what happens that if a couple stays together long enough, I've never in all of my years, you know, well over a decade of supporting couples and just two decades of doing transformational work. I've never met a couple that avoids stage number two, as long as they stay together long enough, which is the power struggle stage. And it's so natural. It's so understandable because initially we're trying to win somebody over and woo them and be really accommodating, which is lovely, but it's not sustainable because we're, we're sort of quieting our own needs in service of their needs. And we can't really do that long-term. And so over time, all of a sudden we're like, wait, I have needs too. And in moments, our needs feel like they are at odds with our partner's needs. And when that happens, it's really easy to miscommunicate, misunderstand each other, uh, have kind of two monologues rather than a dialogue, which would be, you know, you're talking and I'm in my head thinking about what I'm going to say next or how I'm right and you're wrong. Um, you know, criticism, blame, all sorts of things like that. So in the power struggle stage, all the parts of us that have been unconscious, any part of us that needs healing, any fears that we didn't even know we had, whatever, any old wounds from relationships, those all get brought to the surface without us even trying. It just happens. And it's a beautiful thing. And it can either be deeply painful and devastating and um, frustrating and confusing all the things and re-triggering, re-wounding, or really we can look at conflict as growth wanting to happen and just allow all that to come to the surface um, to do our own personal healing and growth and then also to learn about relationships. So power struggle, we go from like seeing the best in someone to suddenly perhaps seeing more of the worst in them and giving them more of our worst. And it can be really disenchanting. Like you're not who I thought you were. You're not who I fell in love with. So I think it's just helpful to really validate and normalize that stage because that added pain is when we interpret it as, 
oh gosh, if this is meant to be, it's supposed to be easy. So you must not be the one for me or just thinking this is as good as it gets. So typically in a power struggle stage, couples will perhaps break up because they're like, well, I want more than this. Um, Or they'll spend their lives in one long drawn out power struggle. Um, Or they'll realize like, oh my gosh, there's probably some potential here that we just haven't learned how to tap into. So that then leads to stage number three. And that's making- Let's go back to just, just, I just want to go back to stage number one for a moment. It's a magical stage. It feels very euphoric, but that euphoria can be very dangerous because during the honeymoon stage, couples may idolize each other and the relationship. They only see the positive aspects and then they overlook any potential challenges or flaws. And then this can lead to unrealistic expectation, uh, expectations and a distorted view of the relationship. And when the honeymoon stage fades and in really sets in, couples may be disappointed or feel disillusioned. So I just want to talk about that a little bit more because I feel that this is really important. What are some of the other dangers associated with the honeymoon stage that people should be aware of? Because I can definitely think of a few. Yeah. Yeah. I think just that it's, it's like impossible, no matter how intuitive you are or well-researched you are, intelligent you are, it's just kind of impossible to know the whole person. And so it's really easy to sort of freeze frame our moments with them and think it reflects the totality of who they are and who we are together. And so just realizing like there's so much more and everybody has, you know, things that they're bringing to the relationship. So it's not a matter of if that's going to happen, it's really a matter of when. And so I think having that realistic perspective is like, okay, this is wonderful. Celebrate that. And there's a whole lot more there. Um, So I would say, yeah, that's probably one of the dangers. And I am a very optimistic person. And yet when someone comes to me when they're, you know, newly in love, which again, totally celebrate that. And they'll be like, oh my gosh, you know, it was so much harder with other people and everything is just so easy now. And again, lovely. Um, But it's only a matter of time. Yeah. And I, and I feel like people overlook the compatibility issues. I think because as a dating coach and a matchmaker, I see this often and I've, I've done it within my own relationships where I've overlooked things because they're my type. I've been waiting for this relationship forever. And I overlook all these important things. Um, and, and, and I find that couples do that. They overlook potential incompatibilities or differences that can turn into sources of conflict or dissatisfaction in the long run. And then when that initial passion fades, these problems that were little before, they become bigger, right? And then that can cause a huge ton of strain and difficulty in the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, you're so spot on. It's so easy to be like, oh, that's so cute that they, whatever it might be. And then fast forward a year later or six months later, it's like, oh, that actually doesn't work for me. So yes. Yeah. Yes. So just just before we move on to the other pillars, what an ultimate advice would you give to singles during this first stage? If there was one thing that you could say, okay. Yeah, you know, it's really, tell. it's really changed. So if you'd asked me when I was in my young 20s, like what I would be looking for, I wouldn't know. But now I like know exactly, I would say definitely at the top, what I'm going to share here, what I would look for is someone who is committed to growth. I just think so of research shows that the greatest predictor of divorce is someone's unwillingness to accept influence from their partner. 
And so if I was dating, that's what I would really be looking for. And that would be like on my radar, like, are they someone who has a growth mindset and they're, they're doing their own inner healing and work. They don't just blame life or blame others. Like when they're sharing about past relationships or about, you know, different aspects of their life, are they looking at how they created it, how they can create something different um, so that's one thing I would definitely look for. I love that advice. Thank you so much for that. Okay, let's get into the other five predict predictable stages of uh, relationships. Uh, you mentioned two, so please continue with the third. Yeah, of course. Okay, so yes, yeah, so we have the romance stage, stage number one. Stage number three is the commitment stage. And that really is as simple as making a powerful commitment to diving in and to really learning about relationships and beginning to explore the potential of your love, which you probably not at all even begun to experience. So it's that powerful commitment to personal growth and growth in the relationship. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue with the five predictable stages of relationships and how they impact the dynamics between couples. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on 640 Toronto. It's Sunday night and you're listening to me, Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca. And this is the Dating and Relationship Show. I think I said that. Uh, and we're here with Christine Earthheart and we were just talking about the five stages of a relationship. Um, and I think we've gone through about three. So if you want to continue with the other two, that would be great. You got it. So uh, thanks so much. Stage number four is the growth stage. So mm -hmm. most people have simply never learned anywhere how to have a great relationship. So actually, when we ask people at our retreats, like, who do you have as examples of a relationship that really inspires you that you would want to be like? So some people actually don't have anyone. Others maybe have like a, a sprinkling, but not many. And so because we don't have role models for this, and we certainly don't learn anywhere how to have like a conscious, healthy, thriving relationship, it's a skill set that really needs to be learned. So the great news is that it absolutely can be learned. Like there is certainly an art and the heart of relationships and love, uh, but there's also really a science to it, to how how to communicate, how to understand each other, how to, you know, create a relationship where both people actually get their needs met, how to have a strengths-based relationship, all the things. So it's just diving in and growing your love and your kind of relationship superpowers. So um, again, no matter how successful, kind, intelligent you may be in other life areas, relationships really are uniquely humbling because typically we don't really know the way. And so using trial and error uh, usually brings out our humanness as much as anything does. So that's stage number four is like doing the growth. And then the fifth stage is thriving. So that's really the best part of the romance stage in the sense that there's that spark again, there's hopefulness. You really are seeing each other's best, but you're also seeing the whole person and learning to really love and accept and embrace all of who both of you are. There's deep sense of trust and security. You have a compelling vision for where your relationship is headed. Uh, so that's when life gets really, really good. And we don't get to thriving and then permanently stay there. That would be so awesome, but also we would not <laughs> grow nearly as much. So we get to thriving and then we're stressed, we're tired, we're hungry, any of the things, you know, an old wound has been triggered 
and we end back up into a power struggle. And so when we get back into a power struggle, we just go through it again. We're like, oh, here we are again. I recommit, you know, to you, to showing up as your teammate. I recommit to growing and taking our relationship to the next level. Then we do the growth work and then we're back and thriving. And we'll go back to the romance stage, you know, certainly have those kind of sparkly feelings. And so the aim isn't not to have conflict. The aim is to really know when we're in the power struggle, realize we don't have to be there. It's just something's just coming up that wants our love and attention and to really consciously navigate it and then move through the stages much more quickly so we can spend as many moments as possible out of the power struggle and in thriving. I have this question for you. And I do ask this question often because I, I tend to get different answers, but do you believe in love at first sight? Because I definitely do not. Um, I, I feel like it's more of an infatuation, like an intense infatuation. Um, but I feel like love takes longer to build really. You got to be like, like in the thriving stage that you're talking about, right? That takes years. That takes time. That means being there for that person through thick and thin and, you know, supporting that person and, and, and so forth. So how, what, what would you want to say about that? Do you believe in love at first sight? Well, that is a fun question. So <laughs> I I will say that was not the case for me and my husband, me personally, although he may actually say that it was the case for him. And I would I would say that our intuition is just so powerful. And I love how our intuition sometimes comes in really, really quickly and is like accessing so much more information than we have than we can actually our linear mind knows. So all the, you know, thousands of bits of information coming in all the time. Uh, and so in some ways our intuition can be spot on and we can kind of know in an instant. So there might be something that we're drawn to someone and I totally hear you. So my husband and I, it can actually be confusing for some people because if you don't feel that there's like a mythology, you know, around it for some people, like, okay, you'll just know. I remember growing up with that. Like, you'll just know as soon as you see them. And it puts a lot of pressure around it. And I did not just know at the moment I met Brett. Uh, and so, you know, I was scared. There were various things. I just wasn't like open and available for it. And so it took time of me like, this person is amazing. It was like a deep soulful friendship. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I just, the more I get to know him, the more I like him. And uh, so, so for anybody out there that you didn't have that experience, that does not mean, you know, Brett and I are over 20 years in, it's the relationship of my dreams. And so it can be a damaging, I think it can be a damaging expectation that we're going to have that. And yes. I also validate, you know, we've had plenty of clients over the years that they're like, I just knew the moment I met them. So I think that's so beautiful. But, but, I, but I think there are a lot more people that say that and, oh, I knew the moment I met them and then realized later on that they weren't compatible <laughs> because true. you can't look at a person and go, oh, yeah, I'm compatible with that person. Listen, the reality is that love at first sight is subjective and highly individual. And it's important to distinguish between intense infatuation or attraction and that deeper long term love that develops over time through mutual understandings, through compatibility, and that emotional connection that you have. But those are my thoughts on it. But you know, we talk about this often. And uh, I just wanted to hear your thoughts. <laughs> so thank I you. For that. That. that totally resonates. Yes. Not only if you don't feel that, does, that doesn't mean that you're doomed. But also, if you feel that, that does not mean that it is like destined to meet your love for many years to come. So exactly. Yeah. Good to, good to check yeah. That part of us Still and proceed with caution, please yes. take time when getting into relationships. Don't just yeah. jump in because you feel like you're in love. 
Let's talk about the six pillars of thriving relationships now that contribute to the health and fulfillment of that relationship. Uh, can we chat a little bit about these and how couples can use uh, these to build a healthy relationship? The six pillars of a thriving yeah. relationship. Awesome. Let's do it. So uh, in no particular order. So one pillar is personal responsibility. And that's just shifting from solely focusing on what we need from our partner, which is valid, but we don't want to put only our attention there. Like what I, well, if you would just do this, I would be so much happier, which we all have those things, right? And again, that's valid, but that's not where our greatest wisdom and leverage for changes. It's really looking at what am I doing that's contributing to things not going well? So for example, what am I, what am I contributing that's making it difficult for my partner to really hear me right now, rather than just focusing on you never listen to me. Like, I wonder how I'm talking in a way that isn't conducive to you hearing me. And then also more possibility filled. Like, I wonder how I can communicate in a different way that will really allow this to land and for you to feel my heart around it. Yeah. So and just, and just quickly, like sometimes we want them to change, but it may take a little time for them to make that change. And then just harping on them daily about it is just going to irritate them and make them run in the opposite direction, I feel. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Pressure tends to create resistance really in so many areas of life. Uh, so yeah, that doesn't tend to be, it, it's, it makes sense because the more that we're longing for something, sometimes it feels like a, you know, a desperation. And so we want to cling to it and we pull in our different strategies for that, but it ends, you know, it ends up usually having the opposite impact. So so yeah, so how neat that we have, you know, this opportunity when we change things, you know, we can just trust our partner's process of change, but really it is mirrored, you know, in our relationship. Okay. And next one. Okay, great. So next one is our love account. So research by Dr. John Gottman shows that every relationship really has a sort of emotional bank account. And every interaction we have, we're either putting in a deposit or we're taking out a withdrawal. And when, you know, couples have been studied that are doing really well versus those that aren't doing well at all, uh, and they've kind of marked how many times they're actually doing things that are, whether it's physically or emotionally, uh, that actually contribute to the relationship and to each other, we want to aim for a ratio of 20 to one positive to negative interactions. So it would be the example of like, uh, if you're texting your partner, like, pick up milk. Hey, pick up milk versus like, Hey, sweetie, hope you're having a great day. Do you mind stopping by the store to pick up some milk? Um, love you so much. It doesn't have to be quite that, but like something that you're like, Oh, I'm actually going to use this moment to like sprinkle in some good, or you're passing them by in the kitchen rather than just like walking by, like walking by and just like giving them, you know, 20 seconds of like a hug from behind or saying something kind to them. So it's like all like relationships, thriving relationships are really made up of everyday ordinary moments rather than these big gestures or big romantic getaways. So it's like every day, if I was not in the best of mood this morning and I said something critical, no problem. It's going to happen. But now I have like 20 positive things that I want to really bring in to keep things in balance because the more negative interactions, those have much more lasting sticking power. So we need to counterbalance them with bringing in so much more good. Now, Christine, would you consider um, trust to be a pillar? Yes. Trust is so important. Yeah. Cause I feel like being honest right th from the beginning of relationship is so important. And I feel that people tell little white lies to get the guy, to get the girl, but all that does is it undermines the trust, which is so important for uh, health and stability of the relationship. When your partner finds out that you've been lying or hiding the truth, because hiding the truth or holding back is kind of lying, right? And once you get into this cycle, 
you may continue to lie. And then that's going to lead to a loss of faith in your words and your actions. And once that trust is broken, guys, it's really, really hard to get back. And I want to hear your thoughts on that and the other remaining four pillars. When we come back, you're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. You're listening to 640 Toronto, the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellotta with Christine Earthheart. We are continuing our conversations on the six pillars of a thriving relationship that contribute to its health and fulfillment. Before the break, I had a little monologue there. (laughs) I was talking about trust. And when it's broken, it's really hard to get back. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and the importance of, of, of being truthful right from the start and not holding things back. I mean, if you, for example, um, are on steroids or something, right? I'm just giving you an example. And you withhold that information and your partner is a health nut, right? Like, Although they may not be asking you, hey, are you on steroids? I mean, you tell them a year down the road, that's kind of telling a little white lie, especially if it's something that they're against. Would you agree? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, that really falls under two categories. Trust is so important. So, um, you know, we have a pillar around secure attachment. And now there's been so much research about attachment theory when applied to adult romantic relationships. And it's that we are wired for love. And what that means is that we are wired to like long to be able to count on someone. So to be able to trust them, to know that when we need them, they're going to be there, that they're going to be emotionally available. They're going to be responsive. They're going to be engaged. What they say is what they really mean. They have our back. We don't need to question them because our nervous system can pick up on those things as well. And it's just this brilliant part of us designed for our survival that if someone has not been honest, of course, our brilliant minds, our bodies are like, well, I need to be on alert then. You know, like that just them telling us that we can trust them is not enough. We're like, okay, um, I don't know. Is there something you're leaving out? So it is so important that we create a relationship where we we can just relax. Our nervous system can relax. Our hearts can relax. We can bring out the worst Otherwise, you know, it brings out anxiety. We may become, it might appear on the surface that we're controlling, but it's usually because someone feels like actually out of control. So trust and, and, you know, if both people are willing to repair from it, trust can absolutely be rebuilt. I mean, a lot of couples reach out to our office after trust. But you have to stop lying in order for the trust to be rebuilt, which doesn't always happen. I was in a relationship like that where this person just, they were little white lies, but they were still lies. And but they kept happening. And so I thought I was going crazy, but and and I was getting upset about things. And then they would get upset because I was getting upset. And I'm thinking, but I don't trust you. <laughs> so I'm going to keep questioning your actions, because the, the trust is is not there. Um, and then they would turn around and blame me for things. But basically, it's like, no, it all started with you. So I just, just don't lie, man. If you got to lie, then just don't be with that person. Don't lie to get the guy to get the girl. Be yourself, please. 
Absolutely. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you had that experience. It is. Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Well, <laughs> Don't yeah. be sorry. I learned from it, right? Every relationship yeah. teaches us. So I did learn from that relationship. So I acknowledge though, that that can be such, it can just be all consuming and we can feel like we lose ourselves. Like you could be an otherwise really relaxed, easygoing person. And then we start to feel seen as someone who we're not, you know, because you're really just, of course. Yeah. yeah but then, then right, Christine, she's crazy or he's nuts or she, well, really? Why is she crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Did you make her crazy? Yeah. Did you contribute to her being crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's why I think it's so important to just continually look. We use this expression, wonder and look under. So just like that, when someone's like accusing their partner, you know, when we're when we're feeling fearful, we don't tend to like be our best, most shining selves, but it's because we're actually really terrified. Yeah, that we can't count on someone, we can't trust them. So yes, trust is absolutely paramount. That is like at the foundation of a relationship. And so if that is a pattern in your relationship, that is definitely something to address. And if that is a pattern for you, it, it's a it's a shame response for a lot of people. It's because they're feeling guilt, they're feeling shame, they're feeling fear. So uh, I would just invite anybody to do some deeper healing work. It might even what was modeled for you is just kind of a strategy that, you know, someone has learned or adapted and it's doing great, great harm to a relationship. So yes, I like your public service announcement. Be someone <laughs> that's honest. <laughs> any place too that we're just withholding for withholding our feelings or part of our lives. It's a place where love and connection simply can't exist. So it will limit the relationship indefinitely if we're not revealing all of ourselves. Okay, let's continue with our pillars. How many do we have left? So we've we've gone through trust. What were the other two? So we have taking personal responsibility, filling up our love account, uh, what we call secure attachment, which would absolutely, that would be trust and then repairing after, well, kind of rebuilding trust. And then communication, so key. Uh, we need to, you know, when people fill out their intake forms at our center, that's like the number one thing. Like, why are you coming in? It's like, because we're miscommunicating. If people feel like they speak two different languages and oftentimes what happens if we don't feel heard, we just keep turning up the volume. We use more words. We talk more loudly. We use stronger words or we check out. Uh, and so learning how to speak in a way that both people feel heard, seen, understood, empathize with all of that. So communication and then repair. So conflict is inevitable. So we need to learn how to repair. So we actually learn and grow from it. And we're like preparing where we become more prepared for the next time something happens. Uh, physical intimacy. So that can look lots of different ways, but that's typically the one area that really sets your relationship apart from other relationships in your life. And it is really what helps keep the spark alive. It releases oxytocin. Physical intimacy is how a lot of people actually, it's the kind of pathway into feeling emotionally connected. It's how they do receive love. It's how it kind of lands and is translated for them. So finding ways to kind of honor both of your needs and really nurture that part of your relationship is another key pillar. What are the key elements of communication that help partners feel truly heard and understood by each other? Mm, yeah, great question. So I find that listening is probably the most important thing. It's such a rare thing to actually share our hearts and to feel like someone is deeply taking us in, like they get us and we make sense to them. Like that's the, that's the ultimate. So if we can share something with our partner, like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. And it's beyond right or wrong, but it's like leading with empathy before feedback and really hearing them before we jump in, wanting to be heard. And then the three ingredients in communication that over the years I found to be the most important kind of ingredients 
would be empathy. So that's tied to that is like, rather than, again, rather than right or wrong, getting into like, no, that didn't happen. This happened. It's not about any of that. It's about how you felt when that occurred and dropping into their heart, like getting out of our own heads, getting into somebody else's heart and seeing what it was like for them to be in whatever situation and really acknowledging that with them. So empathy, appreciation. So it's very easy in our communication just to scan for what's wrong. So maybe you came in the door and, you know, the, your partner was like tending to the kids, but the kitchen table was a mess. And we go right to have the kitchen tables a mess rather than actually appreciating, oh my gosh, you've had such a long day. I'm so grateful that you've been with the kids all day, whatever it might be, just like making sure that we're really appreciating different aspects of our life, of, of our partner. So and so empathy, appreciation, and then curiosity. And so rather than, de- it's kind of the antidote to defensiveness. So if our partner suggests something, um, rather than just getting defensive, like getting curious, like, ah, oh, tell me more. What is it about that that's meaningful or calls to you? Yeah. So let's go back to active listening or listening. Uh, it, it Really, I mean, it's about fully engaging with your partner and what they're saying. It means giving your partner undivided attention, maintaining eye contact, being interested in what they're saying and their perspective. But what if your partner likes to talk a lot? (laughs) I'm being a devil's advocate here. What if your partner likes to talk a lot and you're a super busy person? Uh, Can we be working on stuff and listening at the same time? I mean, some people can multitask. And I know that that's an issue for some, like, um, (laughs) I'm laughing. But how would you navigate that conversation? Because some people are chatty and they just want to, talk all day long and they expect their partner to give them undivided attention. Meanwhile, it's like, well, I'm listening, but I'm also doing some things in the background here. So how would you navigate that conversation or what would you suggest for that? Yeah, it's an important one. So some people are external processors and some are internals, external processors. It's like, they're getting clarity. Like it's just kind of cleansing. It's letting them digest the day. Um, So absolutely. So there's a couple of things. I think you can either have like, okay, I have 15 minutes right now and have like really clear containers where like I can give you my full presence right now. Um, and and then like beyond that, I'm gonna be doing something else. And so one thing that even Brett and I, he's much more of an internal processor. And sometimes I just like, he, it's okay if he's doing the dishes. I'm just like kind of externally processing. And then we'll sit down and say, hey, what's the most important thing? Or I'll kind of get the teaching, like we'll crystallize the most important part of it. And so it can be so helpful. So I am right there with you, like shifting our expectation. Because if we expected our partner to like listen intently the entire time, they'll just get so flooded and they won't hear actually what's most important. And so we want to be intentional. And then also to get our needs met various places. And so rather than just looking to our partner, you know, find a friend to go for a walk with or call somebody else. Because it's a really important part of you. doesn't mean that part of you is bad, but we don't want to put that all on our partner because they're going to actually miss out on, um, yeah, again, the most important things. We need to take a short break. Stay tuned as we continue our conversation on communication within relationships and we'll tap into navigating differing interests and co-creating healthy attachments and relationships.
Flagship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's News. Today's Talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellata with my special guest tonight, Christine Earthheart. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation on communication, and then we're going to explore how couples can navigate differences in interests and build healthy attachments. So let's get back to our chat. Okay, um, what are some strategies that couples can use to resolve conflicts and then ensure that both partners' needs are met during these conversations? Yeah, well, certainly tied to communication, we want to make sure we're really hearing each other. So it is astonishing to me how many couples, they'll feel like they're like on the opposite ends of the spectrum of what they need. Like, I want this, no, I want this. And they just feel like they're at odds. And like, how are we ever going to find the middle path? And once they start actually hearing each other, oh my gosh, they're just like so much more willing to be teammates and allies and to get resourceful and collaborative and creative together. So I would say that is so tied to making sure both your needs get met is by validating your needs. Can you give me one, just one tip on how couples can foster open and non-judgmental communication? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. rather than using, there's so many things that rather than using the language, like you hurt me, you frustrated me, you disappointed me is to really look at our own feelings and just get more vulnerable. So vulnerability is what breeds empathy. So if we're just telling our partner all the things they did wrong and how they wronged us, you know, they're going to probably be more defensive. They're going to jump in with like, yeah, but you, whereas if we can just share and honor our feelings, but instead of being angry, like, gosh, I'm just really scared that I don't matter to you. You know, I, I, I'm just scared that I'm all alone in this. So just to get more tender, like drop. And usually we have kind of layers to our emotions and these emotional jackets we wear. And maybe the initial jacket we wear is not as easy for our partner to receive. So I just like take some time to be with yourself and see if you can own your feelings without putting them on your partner. And then to, as you're exploring this, then you're just side by side, like you're feeling these feelings, which are totally valid and healthy and understandable. Both of your needs, totally valid, healthy you know, yeah, there's space for both of them. And then you just get to get creative and curious together of like how to honor it without anybody having to be wrong. So I think just making a space where everyone's feelings are valid and welcome. Everybody's needs are valid and welcome. And let's all be on the same team here. So it's like a spirit of teamwork. Again, nobody's wrong. I'm owning my own role in it. I want to see like, what can I do differently for this to work for us? And I'd say that's one thing, certainly that helps. Perfect. 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 Okay. Um, and did we want to give a couple more uh, tips on how couples can resolve conflicts um, and that ensure that both partners needs are met during the conversations? Because I can think of one, which I don't know if we talked about it, but compromising. Oh my goodness. So important to compromise. So compromise is really important as well. And compromise is really about, for me, I love to see it as this, the relationship really is a living, breathing thing. And so anything that's good for the relationship is going to be good for both of us anyway. So it's just this spirit of willingness. I mentioned in the beginning is like someone's unwillingness to accept influence from their partner, number one predictor of divorce. So if you're going to go into a relationship, like, well, this is just the way I am, love me as I am, or leave me. And, you know, there's not much wiggle room there. Instead, we just want to get willing. So compromise is really like, what does this relationship need from both of us in order for this to really work for both of us? And just taking turns, like there are some times that, you know, my relationship couples, we support, like something is really important to me. And so Brett, is willing just to be a bit more generous there because he gets that's really important to me. And other times it's like, oh, that's really important to you. But we want to 
give each other time and space to be the leader uh, and to like really surrender to that and let each other open up things you wouldn't otherwise even know about when they lead. And so compromising and finding finding ways that we can both work, to have both of us get our needs met. It is so Yes, hard. there's no space for a selfish person in a relationship. No relationship is going to work if you're trying to get your way all the time. So please compromise. All right, uh, let's get into attachments. And some people, I mean, they don't have a secure attachment. So what are some of the potential consequences of not having a secure attachment in a relationship? And and, and how can couples work towards creating a more secure attachment? I mean, I'm a big fan of doing the work before you get into a relationship, if you realize that you have a lot of insecurities that you're dealing with, um, or jealousy and all that. I, I mean, I feel like you should get some help prior to getting into a relationship, but what if uh, you haven't done that? Yeah, sure. So some things that you might notice if there is, if a, if a relationship is not securely attached, which it can absolutely be created, is you may feel like you can never do enough for your partner. You may feel unappreciated. You may feel misunderstood. You might feel like they don't have your back. You might feel like they don't really need you. You might feel like you need them and they're not really there for you. And it can look so many different ways. For some people, it will look like, you know, anxiety, but anxiety can even look like, you know, someone who's agitated or negative or nitpicking or withdrawing. Uh, so, uh, so many different ways it can look. But underneath the surface, the most common things are people feel like, I, I'll, I'll never be enough for you. And so that might be more someone who's avoidant. Like, why would I even try connecting with you? Because when I try to connect with you, it just explodes. And so they kind of step back to preserve any sort of remaining connection that's there. And then someone that feels like, you know, they're all alone in it. Um, they feel like they're part, they long for more than anything for their partner to be engaged. They might, you know, follow their partner into the other room. Their partner might be like kind of trying to step back from the conversation. They're like, no, don't go anywhere. And you want to have resolution in, in the conversation. And so if that's you, that can definitely be a sign in that moment that you're not securely attached to one another. It's when there's an absence of emotional connection and we feel that absence and it's painful really for everyone, whether we're aware of it or not. And we don't have a lot of time left, but can you share some practical tips for couples to co-create a healthy and secure attachment? Yeah, for sure. So I tell you the number one things so often when we're in an insecurely attached relationship or moment, we're doing the opposite of what actually works. So if you are someone who tends to withdraw, avoid, um, step back, it's to lean in. If you're someone who tends to you know, withdraw in any way, the antidote is actually to do more leaning in and realize the very moment that you want to step back, if you lean in, it will like change the course of how things go. Or if you're someone who tends to get anxious and maybe you send your partner a whole bunch of texts, you call them a bunch of times, or you follow them in the other room when you're in an argument, um, you're not giving them space, they actually feel scared of connecting with you on some level. And so it's just actually soften. So what we tend to do what doesn't work is to even louder, which then, you know, pushes them even further away. So instead to kind of soften, actually begin to appreciate them, be this like positive space that they feel safe to re-engage with. Thank you so much. You have been such a lovely guest. I'd love to have you back on the show again, because I feel like we could have gotten into a lot more stuff. <laughs> we were just starting out really. And I feel like the show is over. So uh, Christine Earthheart, where can people learn more about you and all your greatness? Um, and yeah, reach out to you if they need your help. 
Well, thank you so much, Laura. I'm so grateful and honored to be here. So we, my husband and I, we run, it's called the Center for Thriving Relationships. So you can certainly search Center for Thriving Relationships, or you can go to centerthrive.com and you'll find lots of stuff for couples or for those who want to become trained and certified um, as relationship coaches to help other couples. You can find it all at centerthrive.com. I love that. I should probably get certified. Hey, I'm going to look into that. (laughs) Thank you so much. And if you're single looking for love, you know where to go. Go to singleinthecity.ca. We have a ton of events on there. You need some help with coaching, dating and all that. I can definitely help you in that department. Thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. Ciao for now. 